Hello, fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we re-examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a redheaded stepchild, my own self, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Bowell. And today we are pulling open Hollywood's crypt to review 2007's Teeth. expect to like this movie as much as i did (laughs) yeah i was i I was shocked and delighted by how into this you were and you were telling me over text after you'd watched it and honestly i gotta say same and it's interesting because i've seen this before right how how long ago six months or so ago this this was one of the few movies that like my wife suggested to me we watch and not the other way around so oh right because it is typically the other way around in your relationship it very much is so i wasn't going to pass up an opportunity to sit down and enjoy a film with my lovely wife and i'm so fascinated and excited for how this conversation is going to go just talking about it from the viewpoint of watching it as a man versus watching it as a woman (laughs) um i don't know if this is tmi and if it is you can totally edit it out but It is a very interesting experience to be on your period while watching this movie. It kind of, I don't know if it fueled how much I loved it or if it, but there was something about like the feminine rage that was happening that I was like, (laughs) yes, yes, I'm here for this. (laughs) All right. That's just another, uh, another aspect to it, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really... I had heard about Teeth. Um, I'd heard it referenced. I'd heard it made fun of by a lot of people. So I was expecting it to be campy cult. Like I was expecting it to be really cheesy and over the top with really bad musical cues and like screeching violins. But that is not what this is. No, absolutely. Same. I remember this came out... um when I was freshly in high school and by like my junior senior year, this had sort of reached its height of infamy. And I can remember a friend being like, yo, 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 we got to watch this movie. There's a, there's a person whose vagina bites off dicks. (laughs) And when that's your primer, when that's what, that's all you're given. Yeah. You, you expect something very different. You really do. And I think I kept expecting it to be, slut shamey or overly like just high school cheese musical but it wasn't it really handled the subject matter really deftly yeah um before we get into really critically analyzing for those of you who skipped watching teeth which uh, i can't blame you but i encourage you to give it a shot Teeth is the story of Dawn, a high school student who goes through a traumatic change from being a hyper-innocent and puritanical youth group spokesperson to an empowered sexual vigilante after discovering that she possesses vagina dentata, or in other words, naturally has a row of shark-like teeth in her vagina. So badass. (laughs) So I want to get into this movie and the way it handles empowerment because mm. when when we were queuing this up at the end of the showgirls episode i said this was another heavy-handed metaphor movie and and i think so but i like the heavy-handedness 
There's yeah. there's literal empowerment as well as metaphorical empowerment. Yes. So Don goes through multiple lovers isn't the right word because not all of the sex in this movie is consensual. Right. Most of it's not. Most of it's not. She has multiple sexual partners throughout the film. Uh, most, multiple sexual encounters. Let's say that. Sure. And I think what's most empowering is that it is established that Dawn can enjoy sex. Because my fear upon seeing the first couple of instances of Dawn's sexuality, I was worried that Dawn would never be able to enjoy sex. Like I was worried that where it was going is sort of this message that sex is bad and that women shouldn't be able to enjoy it and that because of her vagina dentata, Dawn is just removed from having any sexual pleasure whatsoever. But there are a couple of sexual encounters that Dawn has that either start pleasurably or are pleasurable in the middle despite having questionable circumstances. And so that kind of relieved me from thinking, oh, she's still just a victim. She's just a victim to her own body. She's not at all a victim. She very much controls when she decides to enjoy sex and when she decides to end sex through her vagina dentata. Right. You, watching the movie, it becomes clear that it's almost almost subconscious or, or it's like a, a, a mental reflex and... I'm going to go ahead and use my hot take here at the beginning. This is a superhero movie. Yeah. And Dawn has powers. So I think it's a superhero movie, but also I thought it was interesting from the opening shot, we see the power plant. Right. And much like Toxic Avenger, radioactivity and the power plant is always sort of throughout the movie as a theme. But unlike Toxic Avenger, the power plant in this movie is never alluded to it's in no text whatsoever it is just a constant presence throughout the film right it's so it 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 was so interesting to me that you caught that because i like like the nuclear reactor is in the background of a lot of shots it's it's very prominent and i just didn't make the connection that you did and I, and I think you absolutely nailed it that there's this overwhelming subtextual hint or or not hint but hypothesis that there's a lot more at play in terms of radioactivity and mutation you know Dawn's mm-hmm. father and theoretically Brad's mother like neither of them are in the picture and and why and why we never find out what happened with don's father and then don's mother falls sick as well so it's kind of to be assumed that this is not a town that's well and i think that kind of supports your theory about this being a superhero movie is that like something is deeply wrong with this town and it's affecting its people it's very like peter parker gets bitten by a radioactive spider kind of phenomenon right and so to go back to that like throughout the movie she gains control of her powers as it were throughout her sexual encounters and of course the first instances she doesn't know what's going on she doesn't have control as it were and that's why it's almost like like at that point i can see what you're saying where you're wondering 
is she ever going to be able to experience pleasure? Because it's almost like a bear trap down there. You know, it takes off right. young Brad's finger and it, it, it destroys Toby's uh, penis when he rapes her. Later on, as she continues having these encounters... It's especially when she is the second time she's actually having sex with Ryan where it is at least somewhat consensual. And I want to break down that scene a little later on and, and really get into that. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's at least somewhat consensual. And that's when she gains control. There isn't that there isn't that reflex and it's right. not until things happen that she squeezes or however you want to think about it and look at it to then use your powers. Kegels. Yeah, kegels, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that's from from the outside, that's what it looks like. It looks like she's just the face that she makes, especially in the in the Ryan scene. She makes like, oh, I'm going to decide to do this now. Now that I know that this is how this works... I'm just gonna, and there it goes, you know. Right. Yeah, this this movie is interesting in the themes of empowerment. It's it, it definitely has a viewpoint when it comes to morality, especially sexual morality. Mm-hmm. It reminded yeah. me of Toxic Avenger in that there are no good men. There are no characters that are male of any prominence that are good, with the exception of of Don's stepfather. He's no Tetsu Kuzakabe, who among us are. No. <laughs> but he uh he at least tries to be a good father both to his stepdaughter and to his own shit heel of a son. Right. And right. let's I, I, I guess it's as good a way of any to break this down partner by partner. I want to talk sure. about the scenes with toby so should we start with how toby meets dawn at a purity ring seminar yeah yeah might be the right yeah. word it's well it's a youth group meeting is what i thought yeah yeah yeah. andy did you ever have a purity ring when you were in high school junior high i never had a purity ring but the scene rang true to me in mm-hmm. a lot of different ways because i was involved with a couple of different youth groups in high school and mm-hmm. it, it uh, even um what rang more true to me was what jess and toby and the other couple do outside of the youth group like this idea of of you're a teenager and you really don't know what's going on and probably for most of your life your spiritual morality is whatever your parents told you it was and so you're trying your hardest to be pure and and be good. But at the same time, there's everyone around you is starting to look really attractive. Yeah. Did you ever, ever, and there's so, uh, I did. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did. It was actually like to this day, I look back on it. I'm like, Oh, it was so pretty. It was a cross that went into like a rose and my dad got it for me. Okay. And then it, it broke. And I was at a time in my life where I didn't feel I needed a purity ring anymore. Mm, so, Gotcha. <laughs> um, but that was also a different time in my life. I was going to youth group every week. I was definitely portraying the idea of someone who was very, very into it 
and very much self-defying yeah of like i have all these questions i very much repressed any questions that i did have and didn't really encounter my doubt so to speak in a similar way that i think these teens don't like they go the four of them toby dawn and the other two go to a movie and the idea of even being seeing a movie with quote heavy petting or heavy making out maybe they say it sounds dangerous and they decide to avoid it right. and they go out the four of them because going out in couples would be dangerous and they say that the spot that they go to they can't go to it at night because it's a makeout spot and the fact that they know that kind of proves that they're like obsessed with the idea of makeout spots but they're not allowing themselves to be in a makeout spot. Sure. I wonder, because when, when I was writing the notes, I, I put this down and I put the whole youth group part of it as as to why this movie didn't age well, the 2017 uh-huh. edition. Social justice, one, two, three. Woo, woo. I want to be PC. Woo, woo. It's just the way to be for me. And I don't know if... It just reads as so archaic and uncomfortable to us because it didn't age well and because that's a problematic viewpoint or just because that is something I know for a fact the both of us in our own ways grew out from and disassociated with. I think it's the latter. I mean, I think for us it didn't age well because we're not those humans anymore. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's still exceedingly accurate like some of the shots that they had of so for example don's um don's bathing suit is a one piece which is very fitting for don and i want to talk about her costuming later but one of the things that it made me think of is how anytime i went to a youth group in california and anytime we would go to a pool or go to a beach there would be like a dress code released to all the girls saying, please remember um, to not cause your brothers to stumble. So please remember to wear one piece bathing suits. Mm. And like that was happening in 2003. Sure. So it's like, this is not that long ago. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely had, I had a different experience than you or anyone in the youth group in the movie. Cause I was very looking back on it. Now I can admit it, it, it was always very tangential. I think the one I went to for the longest was maybe a period of six to eight months. I went pretty regularly, but even then it was just to the like Wednesday night service or whatever. I, I was rarely hanging out with any people that I wasn't hanging out with in high school already. And mm. more than a couple different youth groups, I definitely went because there was a girl I had a crush on and I wanted to be around I her. I knew it. I feel like that's the reason all teens actually go to youth group yeah. is because there's a cute guy or a cute girl that they want to go and like chat with. Absolutely. Because that's definitely why I went to youth group. It wasn't to like learn about Jesus. It was because my parents wanted me to go and there was a cute boy there. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> So to lead us back into Toby, I wonder, I guess he, that's not necessarily the case with him. He doesn't meet Jess until the opening of the movie, but. Meet Don. Right. Yeah. Don played by Jess Wexler. That's what I mean. Yes. But he just kind of shows up and it's a, it's a friend of a friend sort of thing. The, the other couple 
are friends with both Don and Toby. So that's how Don and Toby become friends. And, you know, they much in a high school way mentally hit the ground running and hit it off mm-hmm. and they hang out as friends. They very quickly get crushes on each other to the point where Dawn calls him up in the middle of the day and says, Hey, we can't hang out because I have too much of a crush on you, mm-hmm. which that part like rang out. Interestingly. Yeah. Dawn is Dawn is such a paragon of purity and innocence and virtue in this movie. Mm-hmm. She has to be, I guess, so that the transformation is all the more affecting. Sure. Um, she says that to be to be clear, if I remember correctly, she says that after she masturbates to the idea. That's right. Correct? Yes, you're out you're right. Which I want to talk about that scene. I guess I, I encourage you to talk about that scene. <laughs> I think that is the most accurate portrayal of young teen girl female masturbation that I've ever seen in cinema. And it was so astoundingly powerful. I think the fact, the costuming choice that she makes where that they make with her, where she switches between her nightgown to all of a sudden she's in a wedding dress is so perfect. It's so well done. And the fact that she isn't necessarily masturbating to even the idea of him naked, she's masturbating to the idea of their wedding day. I don't know. I I don't want to say that that's indicative of what all women enjoy the idea of, but I want to say that that speaks so much to who Dawn is and to what that culture is that like, she just really wants to be married and she wants to have this pristine ideal of weddings. And later on, we notice, we noticed Dawn throughout the early part of the movie, she's sketching wedding dresses and she puts them all in the wall above her bed and then later after her interaction with toby she tears them all down and she's ripping them off of her bedroom wall right now the the dawn's masturbation scene was maybe my favorite part of the movie it was so well done i loved the 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 show not tell it was it, it was just a great piece of filmmaking to just you know you're intercutting between her in bed in her nightgown to the fantasies of her and Toby in matrimonial attire. And then it cuts back to Dawn and all of a sudden she's in the wedding dress, but you only see like, like hip level of the wedding dress. So it's, if you're not paying yeah, you attention, see crinoline and tool, mm-hmm. right? If you're not paying attention, you don't catch it. But if you are paying attention, you're rewarded. And it's just a great little, a great little piece of filmmaking. This movie we haven't even really talked about it. We've been discussing plot and character stuff. This is a very good movie. This is a very well done movie. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so pertinent. The themes throughout the movie are so strong. So there's two really big themes in the masturbation scene that I want to touch on. One is the theme of water throughout the film. Mm. Um, Water comes up time and time again throughout the movie, but as Dawn is masturbating, it's raining. And so the theme of like water as sexuality comes up. She, uh, her interaction with Toby is behind a waterfall. She comes time and again to the lake. Like water is a big theme in this movie. And then also the theme as women 
backslash vaginas as monstrous or not able to be mentioned. Sure, right. So right before Dawn has her masturbation scene, she um, comes home and there's a monster movie playing on the television. And that's what that image coming to her mind is what ceases her from coming to a climax is that she pictures this monster and she kind of associates it with herself. She sits up in bed and says, what am I doing? Or what am I thinking? Right. So she associates this with herself. Yeah. And, and like you never, there's never a graphic shot of a vagina. There, there are several no. graphic yeah. shots of penises, usually severed, <laughs> but they, we never, where, where I'm going with this is we never see the teeth. And right. that moment I thought was just another great show not tell because I was sitting here wondering like did she did she feel a tooth or something the the monster that is in the movie and that it it pops into her mind at the end of the masturbation scene is this scorpion faced looking pincered thing and well and it's supposed to look like labia. Right. Like the pincers are supposed to resemble exactly. the vagina. Exactly. So I, I just think there's 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 so much great little stuff. Like it, it has no bearing, but I want to comment. One of the first times we see Brad, Don's stepbrother, he's hiding in the bathroom shower and Yeah. He's in the out of focus background and he's so still while she is brushing her teeth and about to step into the shower and then he scares her like like just taking that five seconds that is an amazing horror movie shot and it's Mm -hmm. made all the more impressive by the fact that i i looked through the major crew and as far as i can tell nobody has like major horror work so it's just i i wanted to comment on it that's so interesting and it's so it's so soon and early in the film but it sets such a good precedent for Men are not safe. Yeah. And they're always like watching, always being predatory in such a way that it like it sets the theme of the movie up very early that this is going to be a girl who's gonna constantly have to protect herself. Totally. Yeah, I um the opening scene so even before we meet Toby, the opening scene is young Don and young Brad are sitting in a pool together. Again, right. water. A kiddie pool in the front yard while their parents, their respective parents, sit in lawn chairs holding hands talking about their upcoming marriage. And Brad pulls out his penis and says, there, I showed you mine. Now show me yours. And presumably inserts his finger into Don's vagina and then pulls back and his finger is bloody and bitten. Which is just like, to start there, we already know what we're headed into. Sure. So it's really brilliant script writing. I completely agree. It's That, that scene was interesting to me because I, I never did that. <laughs> like... Okay, thank you. I, I actually like had to pause the movie and look at Alex and I was like, is this a thing boys do? Because... I don't know, maybe it's the way that the female genitalia is structured. Like, girls don't go, I'm going to show you mine. Show me yours. That's not part of our culture. <laughs> well, th- I mean, the origin of it, it's it's just sort of a... Uh, limerick's the wrong word, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's it's just sort of a a, a, a thing. It's, it's, I showed you yours, now show you mine. And it's associated with, usually with, like, schoolyard 
uh, children being the ones to say it. I've, I've seen instances where it's either gender, like initiating that, but I Mm. have never done that. And I don't think I know anybody who has ever done that. I don't know anybody who's ever done it. I know people who have had it done to them unexpectedly. Yeah. So, so yeah, I had to ask Alex, I was like, is that something little boys do? And he was like, eh, probably some little boys. Yeah. Well, even take it a step further with Brad, like, yeah, this is the opening scene and it, it, it sets him up as just a little bastard. Like who, I, I, I I don't know. I, 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 what I wrote down was who tries to finger their little soon to be stepsister and, I mean, I guess certainly, certainly there are people, but it's, it's an aspect of the movie that I absolutely cannot relate to and point to as part of why Brad is like evil. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Brad is, like you said, there are very, there is maybe one redeemable man in this movie and it's Don's stepdad who goes unnamed. Right. Yeah. So, um we've kind of danced around it and I'd like to dive into it. Let's circle around to another male character who proves himself to be bad with, with Toby. And specifically I forget what prompts Dawn to call him up and be like, I need to see you, but I don't remember yeah. either. I think it's just, she wants to yeah, see him. something happens where she decides, Oh, maybe, maybe it's cause her mom is sick. I don't know. That's it. Right. Her her mom takes a turn for the worst and she's just overcome and needs to see Toby. They go to make out point the the waterfall <laughs> cave, you know, and 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 at first the scene plays out teen comedy esque and is is fine. They're they're swimming in the pool, you know, they're they're kissing. Mm-hmm. He's the he says the line this doesn't feel wrong at all, which <laughs> Oh yeah. my god. Which was so like <laughs> Oh, before I knew where I was going, I was like, oh, you poor honey, sweetie baby. And then very quickly, I was like, oh, you're you're not a poor honey, sweetie. No, but like just just taking that before his turn, like like that was a moment that hit me way back in my adolescence. And the idea of, you know, you don't know what you're doing and you're figuring stuff out and oh, this this doesn't feel wrong at all. And. I don't know. It, it, it resonated with right. me. I'm pretty sure he motivates them going into the cave. She's the first one to get out of the water for reasons because she wants to cuddle up in the sex blanket, I guess, which that was gross. <laughs> yeah. Also, I wouldn't as I wouldn't ever like decide to go into a blanket that I didn't know exactly. why it was there or how long it's been there. <laughs> not a good choice. Not a not a hygienic choice. No, to make. not at all. And so so he he kind of forcefully cuddles up with her and uses the excuse that he's freezing too and and uh, you know I want to get out of the lake but I need to be with you for body heat. They start making out again and it 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 turns. And Toby as a character turns and not even attempts, he rapes her. And on the one hand, this is where I feel like the movie is the most heavy handed in a bad way with its message. And it's the moment that I take the most issue with. He forces himself upon her and Mm -hmm. 
she makes it clear to stop. And at one point he starts citing how he hasn't even masturbated since joining the youth group. I haven't jacked off for months as if it is a defense of his actions. And I don't know how much is this just me putting my, my, my frills up, but I got a sense that the movie was pushing the notion that abstinence has a correlation to sexual frustration, sexual frustration to the point of doing this deplorable thing and committing rape. And so this sticks in my craw, but on the other hand, I feel like I cannot adequately mount up any sort of defense to the way this happens in the movie because I can't relate to it. (laughs) You know, I, I personally never went through a period where I wasn't having release in some way. And, you know, more than that to, 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 to discuss it seriously, like this, this happens all the time, you know? So I, I don't feel like as a man, I can sit here and say, well, the, the way they turned Toby into a rapist really, I felt was unfair towards men. So I'm kind of in this con this quandary and I don't, think and i'm not asking to like solve it but that was just that was my thoughts i didn't like it in the moment but i look at the situation objectively and feel like i can't really mount a defense and a criticism of that on the other hand and what i actually want to discuss is the question in my mind is when does toby decide he's going to rape her because I think it's important. I don't know if, I don't know if Toby sees it as rape. Oh, to be perfectly that's honest. an unfortunate answer that I didn't even consider. I don't know if he sees it. I mean, I don't know if he sees it as rape necessarily. I, I don't, the way he says I haven't jacked off since Easter um, makes it sound like he feels he's right. entitled to sex. And, in my experience, people who feel they're entitled to sex don't often see any argument against their entitlement. Hmm. Sure. But. Oh boy. <laughs> um... uh, this is. I, I. Side note. I. I apologize. I didn't mean to make this so heavy. No. No, no, no. This is a movie about rape and sexual encounters that don't go well. It's going to get heavy. I don't know if Toby knows what constitutes as rape. I don't know what his background is. I certainly can't guess as to the motivations of his characters. But I definitely think there is a point when Dawn bites him or when her vagina bites him. I, I like to assume that she is in control of it though possibly not this first time it might be the first couple of times i think it's a like automatic response and then i think she kind of learns like oh yeah, i can I do agree. this but i regardless as to whether toby sees it as rape or not i think don does and don knows what's happening and don subconsciously some part of her is saying this is not acceptable. I'm going to do everything i can sure. to prevent and, this well i mean an important moment in that scene is 
when she is fighting him and tries to push him off and he pushes back and, and nearly cracks her head open on the, on the rock. Like he takes a moment. I think he apologizes and is clearly, he registers what he has just done and then he doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. If there's a moment where he just decides, no, I'm going for this or gets caught up in, in passion, passions, the wrong word for that but in the, in the moment i think it's around there and and i don't know man i like i can remember when when you want to get hot and heavy with someone you're pretty persistent <laughs> but mm, yeah i don't know it's it it's of course it's it's maybe the most upsetting part of this movie i think oh really just as a whole yeah so it's so interesting. I don't know if I was upset more by this or by the next encounter that Don has at the right. The, that one, that one is definitely like we're we're talking about first and second place in the upsetting Olympics here. But <laughs> the the thing that makes the doctor scene, which I'm sure we're going to get into momentarily, mm-hmm. is is that actually ends on a moment of comedy in my mind right right vagina dentata vagina dentata (laughs) right toby's scene ends and and like in that in that exact instance it's suddenly a horror movie only because he's clutching his area because i won't even say his dick because his dick is dismembered right (laughs) and he's spurting blood and he looks completely horrified and of course don looks completely horrified and then there's a very telltale shot where you see Toby's dismembered member ah. on <laughs> on the cave rock area, and you're like, "Oh, this is where this movie is going." Right. Okay, better strap in. Yeah, and so he he tries to get away, and like I don't quite remember. I don't quite. Yeah, I don't quite remember the mechanics of it but somehow he jumps into the lake before her he doesn't resurface because later we find out he he died of shock in the lake um mm-hmm. but somehow dawn leaves after him but never finds him never never there's no clue to where he is at that moment and then she leaves and and i know you wanted to talk about the moments after with Dawn and what that does to her character. I just think it's such a brilliant aspect of her acting, of Jess Wixler's acting in such a wonderful, wonderful aspect of the script is that they have probably like three minutes of Dawn in the shower, not saying a word. And they cut the shots. So to kind of say... Dawn has been in the shower a really long time. And that for me was like, this is how you show trauma. Sure. Um, In the way that Showgirls doesn't achieve. Showgirls was very jumpy and throwing french fries and making silly gestures that don't make sense. And this quiet, I want to stay under this hot as possible water for as long as possible is very realistic. And I thought that was so genius. Absolutely. And it stays with her for, for at least like a couple days, just that first yeah. moment. I, I think this is a great time to state it. Cause we haven't yet like just Wexler 
does a phenomenal job as so Dawn. good like i think without a doubt she is giving the strongest acting performance we have seen on this show this project so far yeah absolutely i would say that she so wonderfully captures this character of her complete terror and self-loathing like later she says i need to go to the i need to go to the cops i need to call and confess because she's so convinced that what she's doing is wrong Right. And I didn't even think about this until you just said it. She at no point ever says I need to report a rape. Nope. It's always I need to turn myself in for what I've done. Huh? Yeah. It's really indicative of the culture that she lives in, that it's very self-loathing. Yeah. And I don't want to make this sweeping gesture that all Christian youth groups are self-loathing. But I have definitely had that experience. Well, something interesting that never um, is mentioned, but this was filmed in Austin, Texas, and no okay. no location is ever given. So I think if you take this as being set in Texas, which is one of the most hmm. puritanical states, there's an extra layer. Yeah, but they, it's... But it's Austin. Austin is like the Asheville of Texas. That's a good point. <laughs> but yes, I agree with you that Texas is is a little pure, more on the puritanical side, given its location in the South. Um, but yeah, there's definitely this self-loathing, this feeling of my body is wrong, my body is dirty. And in fact, mm. after Dawn gets through her like couple post days trauma and decides to go to the OBGYN. Her opening statement is, I think there's something wrong down there. Right. And I think this was after so. she uh, she was smart enough to get the sticker off the textbook. Mm-hmm. Like that's... Which is also a wonderful scene. Right. That's a wonderful scene. That's just another moment of how messed up the, the uh, moral values of this community and many other real life communities are, you know, we, we glossed over it, but there's the whole scene where a class is having sex education and the page of the textbook that shows an anatomical drawing of a vagina has this giant sticker in front of it. So that Mm -hmm. you're like, it's just, you're, you're not supposed to see that. And that's pretty much all the adults actually say. Right. And then later, through water and education, Dawn peels away the sticker and she sees, oh, this is what I look like. Which, so I have many, many things that I respect about this script, the way it's directed, the way it's filmed. The one thing that I feel indicates that this movie wasn't written or directed by a woman is that there's not a hand mirror scene. And and that's so interesting to me. Well, that's so interesting to me because... You wrote that down in our notes, and I don't know what that is. (laughs) Oh, so um, education. A lot of women discover what they look like. um, Sure. Genitalially speaking, um, through lying on their back and looking at their vagina in a hand mirror. Okay. So um, it's kind of a jokey trope among a lot of women that they like do that and they sit and they listen to Enya and they like examine themselves. 
but it's also kind of accurate of like you want to know what you look like um and because female genitalia isn't external yeah um it's not like we get to just whip it out and be like this is what my dick looks like (laughs) so that's the only way i think i know that this script wasn't written by a woman because a lot of the other things are so on so on point but then there's that one thing where i'm like well why doesn't she just look for her teeth why doesn't she just take a hand mirror spend some time and just try and examine herself is it that she's scared because sure if you're if your vagina is biting off penises yeah, that's terrifying. So maybe she's afraid of, like, getting her own fingers removed. Sure. Which is what she does to the OBGYN. Yeah. <laughs> Rightfully so. Right. So you kind of push the notion that this is the most upsetting part of the movie for you. And, I, I, of course, I mean, I, I don't have to, like, question why. The, the, the doctor, the gynecologist, absolutely crosses a line and i think it's a lot (laughs) less uh ambiguous his intentions than even toby like there's there's very much a moment in her examination where he switches from doctor to guy who can see what the hell he's gonna get away with it's when he removes the glove because right. I was like, you don't remove your, you never take off your, oh no. And that's when it became like really terrifying because, you know, as a woman who goes to the gynecologist, you know, once every year, I was like, oh, this is horrifying because you can't leave. Right. You're not dressed. There's no safety, which is why I will never have a male OBGYN because I'm like, no, thanks. Sure. No, that sounds terrible. <laughs> I can understand that. <laughs> is is there anything else you want to talk about with that scene? Um, no, it's just this is this is why I will never have an OBGYN. Sure. Uh that's a that's a sorry, that that's a dude. I know there right. are a ton of dude OBGYNs and I'm sure they're great. It's just this is why I won't and this is why most uh mm, I think it's I don't know the exact st- statistic, but I think it's over 70% of OBGYNs are female for this reason. Which, I mean, yeah, it it only makes sense, at least to me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I would agree it's, it's the number two part of the upsetting, but like almost everything sexual about this movie winds up being upsetting. You know, I, uh, I think the thing that at least makes it okay for me is it, it does have a somewhat comedic tilt. It's still horror. <laughs> like like Jess is still mm-hmm. selling the terror and the horror, but just the shot of Josh Pies, the doctor, holding his destroyed hand, screaming Vangita Dentata, is probably the most famous line from this movie. So much so that I've used it for another podcast. Well, and also Alex was telling me that um, after Nick saw this movie, he told (laughs) Alex that he needed to watch this movie. And then I guess Alex did told Nick that he'd seen it. And Nick said, vagina dentata to him, like really loud. And so I guess it's kind of an inside joke between them. Yeah, I can see that with Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Who is now a nurse. Right. Just so weird to me. Yeah, so so to move on, like Jess, that's that's the moment I think where she she has another freak out. 
at some point she she sees a jeep and she thinks it might be toby's and she has a freak out over that Mm -hmm. and when she Mm -hmm. realizes it isn't him that's what inspires her to go back to the lake and that's when she finds like like she sees the police dredging his body out of the lake and that's how she finds out she's killed him which sends her into enough of a freak out to go to our third victim ryan and ryan has come up a little bit throughout the movie he's he's played as like a teen comedy love interest for the most part Mm -hmm. until we get to the actual like his big scenes in the movie and and we we, we've we're, we're going a little long but i think this is equally important to talk about as anything else like 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 he doesn't know Jess is co- he doesn't know Don is coming. So this this mm-hmm. girl that he he from what we understand has a crush on shows up at his at his front door like terrified and not making sense and 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 freaking out and it's such an effective thing the movie does where you the what he actually does is you know he he draws a bath for her. He gives her some I think Valium and it's almost like he's he's trying to help and he he doesn't have any ill intentions and even later on he pops some champagne and is like clearly trying to set the mood in his garage with this woman who is now like pretty delirious but since he's a high schooler and the way he plays it off i almost believe that he just doesn't know any better that you can't mix pills and alcohol like that Mm. and so as i'm watching it i'm almost and i'm thinking back to the first time here i'm almost thinking that this 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 is this is fine and this is okay until dawn passes out and wakes back up and he is using a vibrator on her and then it's like oh nope nope every man every man in this movie is evil every man is trash okay yeah um i was the moment where I knew that it wasn't heading good places is when he says, oh, careful, that pill makes you woozy. It always makes my mom woozy. I was like, oh, you know exactly what effect this pill has. Sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a telling So that's when I knew. I was like, this isn't going good places. Sure. But, you know, it's it's the closest the movie gives us to a consensual sex scene. and And the morality isn't muddy but i wondered if the filmmakers thought the morality would be muddy you know Mm. anyone who's watched the movie and we know that ryan is yet another shithead he does not have a crush on dawn he was just trying to have sex with her because of a bet basically he has Mm -hmm. his own motivations he has his own pretenses but in the moment before you know that he is touching her with the vibrator and you know then tries to have sex with her and and she puts up a a weak foggy-headed resistance and he's like no no I'm I'm going to slay the monster which is you know the weird mythos that the movie came up with or or maybe maybe that's a real thing I didn't actually look into it like that but like they have from from that point on they have consensual sex or at least right. 
it's not consensual because she is of an altered state of mind and cannot give proper consent. But the movie, at least, tries to pass that off as consensual sex. Right, because later when she's sober, the next morning she showers and is like kind of getting ready to go. And she comes back into Ryan? Ryan. Ryan. Ryan's bedroom. And she's like picking up her stuff like she's going to leave. And then she hears him turning the vibrator back on. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's time to play. So like they're kind of towing the line with like, did she enjoy herself? Did she feel like it was okay? And then so they're having sex. And then he answers a phone call in the middle of it. But sorry, you were going to say. Well, I was going to say, I think she totally enjoys it. I think, I don't think there's any question that by the end, everything, mm-hmm. everything's cool. It's just such murky, muddy water, the getting there and the beginning right. of that encounter. But yeah, like the next morning, like they're clearly both ready to have sex again, which sure, that, that, that part <laughs> rings very true. And yeah, he, he reveals himself to be a shithead, which like, why are you going to tell her that first of all? Right. Right. What, what guy thinks I'm going to tell the girl that I'm current, currently sleeping with as in my penis is inside her. Yeah. I made a bet with another dude friend that I couldn't get you in bed. You don't say that. How dumb are you? Yeah, that just proves he's an idiot as well as someone of low moral fiber. But the moment where she she gets pissed off and like you you hear the crunch <laughs> and and she walks away and she even she even gives the quip of some hero. Like like that instance yeah. and he rings up his mom on the garage buzzer and you know weekly calls for her. And later the doctors are going to reattach his penis and they look at it and goes, well, it's hardly worth the effort. Like those, those were the funniest <laughs> parts of the movie for me, hands down. Was it with Ryan or with the doctor that after it happened, she goes, oh shit. With Ryan. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Because that was so like, oh, I did it again. Right. Dang it. <laughs> Like she had dropped a plate of eggs or something. Like it's so the way she approaches it is so perfect. Right. And it goes back and it's, it speaks to Jess Wexler's performance and, and how great it is. Like you, you think back to the, the, the doe eyed sweet unicorn t-shirt wearing girl of the first half of the movie and compare her to that character. And they're completely different people. She has such an amazing clear cut arc in my mind. Oh, Absolutely. And yeah, so that 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 leads us to Brad. And it's it's interesting. We've hardly talked about him outside of the first time we see him. And I just think it's funny because after my first time watching it, he was actually the character and the actor I liked the most. But Mm. really, I mean, the movie tries to make him complex and I I think it fails the entire time. He is awful. Just unequivocally awful. Right. And like for, for the purposes of explaining the plot, 
like the mom takes a fall and Brad never checks on her. And in fact, he even tells his girlfriend, she does this all the time, don't worry about it. To the point where Dawn finds her mother like unconscious on the floor and they go to the hospital and mm. and and it's it's it, it's awful and you know it's such a bad thing that we eventually realize like the mother dies mm-hmm. so dawn at this point has her superpower and has her her weapon and it's made clear that brad could have saved the mom and we get to the climax as it were the final confrontation ho ho hey (laughs) (laughs) we get we get to the final scene between brad and jess where like the entire time he he he's openly lusted after her he's he's pretty all but said it to her face and i think even one time he does say it to her face that you know i forget what he says but it's something very he calls her, he calls her, he tells her she has a sweet ass. Right. And he, he makes it clear what his intentions toward his stepsister were, are. You know, mm-hmm. he, uh, he sixes attack dog on his own father. When the dad tries to mm-hmm. kick him out, he, he big dogs him and, and, you know, basically gets his way to stay in the house. And so we finally get our, our showdown between Dawn and Brad, where she, attempts to seduce him and it's in these past these last two scenes where they try to like do this big reveal that oh brad was in love with her man and oh he was such a he was such an asshole because he got all these conflicted feelings and i don't think any of it lands at all no not at all because it's not further established it's said and then we don't see any follow-up or payoff or any like there's nothing to like, oh, I have to look back and oh, yeah, I see it now throughout all the right. whole. There's not. No, it's it's the one instance where the script tells us instead of shows us. And that's yeah. unfortunate that this thing that was built up to be this great confrontation is actually sort of the one of the weaker parts of the movie. Yeah. But that ends like all of Dawn's other sexual encounters have ended. She attacks him she bites off his member and through another hilarious bit his own attack dog winds up eating his severed penis right (laughs) okay so you use the word attacked she attacks him i would much rather use the word she seduces him because one of my favorite moments in this movie is before dawn goes into her brother's room she goes into her own room, she puts on a pretty white dress, she brushes her hair, and she puts on mascara. Which is just like, one, it's proof of how there's still like the remnants of innocence in her. Like she's putting on a white dress, she's brushing her hair, but then she puts on mascara and it's like, war paint time. <laughs> Here we go. We're gonna go in, we're gonna crack our knuckles, we're gonna seduce the boy and bite off his dick. <laughs> I, I like that uh, interpretation much more than my own take. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so she she goes in, she seduces her brother who wants to... Okay, so there is a weird moment. He clearly wants to have sex from behind. Well, we see this earlier. He only has anal sex with his girlfriend. And... <gasps> oh! 
the movie does do a good job of kind of showing that like he doesn't quite remember what happened back in that kiddie pool but subconsciously Uh he is afraid of vagina is what i got from that oh see maybe that's something i would get in the rewatch but it wasn't well established enough for me in the first because she kind of has to coax him in no i want i want this right this is what i want right and he he's so from his perspective at least it very much is like the culmination of years and years of a specific sexual fantasy it's this whole i can't believe this is happening and i don't even trust this is happening at one point he's asking her what are you doing why are you doing this and yet he wants it so badly that he is willing Mm -hmm. to not ask questions and just if she wants to have sex we're finally going to have sex but yeah, like he he only has anal sex and he, he has a line where his girlfriend's complaining and being like, other guys think my vagina is just fine. And he's like, well, go have sex with them then. And also, oh, I didn't, catch, <laughs> I didn't catch this until my second watch. He has this giant Prince Albert cock ring. Which was made out of sugar so the dog could eat it. Which was made out of sugar so the dog could eat it. And I love that. But look at it in the story. He has this giant. It's enormous. It's the biggest one of those I've ever seen. (laughs) There's no way you're telling me anal sex is pleasurable when you've got that thing on you. For either party. And like, I I know piercings are supposed to increase the pleasure, but that like, like honestly, I was rereading my notes and it kind of hit me. He weaponized his genitalia or at least he tried to. Mm. And that's, that's a brilliant part of the script. So, huh? Well, okay. So this is probably Freudian as all heck, but his dog is named mother. Right. What's the character that Brad is vastly, vastly missing in his life? He doesn't have a mom. So even his dog is made into like this feminine character, but is also like a fighter. And what does it say about, quote, mother that she ends up eating his dick? Right. Yeah. So so maybe maybe. Uh, that element, the the final scene doesn't fall short as much as just the one specific character part of it does. I I like that. I'd I'd like to, yeah. I'd like to be able to hitch this movie, and and say that it's brilliantly written all the way through. You see what we've been missing. I actually have a point that I I felt didn't land with me, which was the ending. Sure. So after. After dismembering her brother, Dawn leaves the house. She goes outside, she walks down the street, and she hitchhikes. And someone picks her up, and then the next... And you think the movie's over, and I think, wow, Dawn doesn't have anything to fear out of hitchhiking because she can defend herself, which is what we're supposed to see. And the movie really could have ended there. It really... For me, it really could have. Sure. But then we have an extra scene where the car Dawn is in pulls up to like a Sitco or some gas station, a 7-Eleven or something. And the car she's in, it's revealed that an old man picked her up and he locks the door. And she unlocks the door to try and get out and he locks the door and he makes like a face. It's like, no, I picked you up. I expect something. 
And Dawn kind of tilts her shoulder towards the camera and looks over it. And I swear to God, she could have winked. And I would have been like, yeah, okay. All right. And I guess maybe it's the setting up of like, maybe there could be a sequel. And this is what you're supposed to expect from this character. Like, oh, ho, ho, I know my way out of this. But it was just so cheesy and like... I didn't need to have that scene. I knew she could defend herself in the outside world. I love it because I think this is our first like serious difference of opinion because I loved that ending. You know, it it was, yeah, for, for me, for me, it was the, the culmination of the superhero story metaphor. Like, Mm -hmm. like she's learned how to control her powers. She's defeated her nemesis. And now she's going to go out into the world and maybe she doesn't have this in her mind until the old man locks the door, but she's going to go out into the world and be this literal sexual vigilante using her attack vagina to destroy (laughs) the perverts and rapists that dare cross her path. And I'm not saying I need a teeth too, but like I was, I I was totally there for that moment. I, I thought it was funny. I thought it was effective. I thought it was the Hmm. perfect culmination of Dawn's character. So not that you have to like it at all, but I loved it. No, I appreciate that. I think that gives really good uh, that gives a really good aspect of how interesting it could be seen as this is where we know she's going now. It's more of a confirmation. I just would have preferred it unwritten that that is what she's going to do. But maybe I don't know. I think there's also something that strikes me as weird that the old man seems playful in the way, like he sticks his tongue out at her and that kind of throws me like, yeah, what are you doing? How is that? If it had been a, I wonder if the old man had been more aggressive, if her looking at the camera, then I would have been like, yeah, sister, get him. But he just kind of seems weird. Yeah, it is. It is sort of like, first of all, he's old enough where that's not going up at Viagra. Um, (laughs) He is like. (laughs) My abs, I'm dying. (laughs) I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the old man thinks he's going to get. I mean, yeah, there's there's really not enough there to say, does he think he's going to get a finger in? Does does he stick out his tongue? Because that's where he thinks it's going. But he definitely thinks, oh, I have this little 18 year old hitchhiker who is sort of under my power. And because I'm a man in the teeth universe that is not uh, her father, her stepfather, I am therefore evil. Let's see where this can go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, I mean, I, I can admit it was probably one of the campiest aspects of the movie, but mm-hmm. I, I loved it. I, I, it, I thought it was deserved and I didn't have any problem with it. Yeah. So do you think this movie is cult, Andy? This movie is so cult. Like I said at the beginning, <laughs> I had I had friends in high school and and like your husband had friends in high school being like, "Yo, no dude, you got to watch this movie." Like You have to watch this movie. For it's cult for no other reason than like the one sentence synopsis of 
yo, there's a movie about this girl who has a toothed vagina and she bites off people's dicks. That in and of itself is like, yes, this is cult because that's the premise. Right. And, and you said it at the, at the top of the show, like you hear that and you think it's going to be something toxic Avenger esque. And honestly, this is such a treat because it is so much smarter and it is so much better in what it has to say than a movie with that synopsis could have had. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I think it's definitely cult. It had a very small budget. It had a very no-name cast, especially at the time. Like, you've got a note of like, oh, hey, it's Hale Appleman. Who I only know because of The Magicians. Right, which I've never seen. So I have never seen this guy in anything other than Toby. (laughs) Oh, see, he Hale Appleman changed so much for me in this movie. And I was like, oh, I don't think I can watch The Magicians in the same way anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So can you uh, link Hale Appleman to Kevin Bacon? I tried. I tried so hard. I was like, okay, who else is in? I wanted specifically to do it through the magicians. And I thought for two seconds, I thought that someone who was in the magicians with with Hale Appleman was in Veep. So I was like, oh, that's easy. Because from Veep, you have Julia Louise Dreyfus. And from Julia Louise Dreyfus, it's not too many jumps to Kevin Bacon. So yeah, so so you tried to do it with Julia Louise Dreyfus. How did you do it? I tried and I failed. So... Instead, I turned to Jess Wixler because I honestly also just wanted to know what else she's in. And she's in It 2. Mm, okay. So she's in It 2 with James McAvoy. James McAvoy is in X-Men First Class with Kevin Bacon. Nice. So James McAvoy made it really easy. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Okay, I like that. Yeah. I was able What about you? Yeah, I was able to go a different way. So so Josh Pies, I'm assuming that's how you say his last name, he is our skeevy gynecologist. What? He was in Find Me Guilty with Vin Diesel, which is not cult, but very underrated. Okay. Vin Diesel was in Saving Private Ryan with Tom Hanks. And uh-huh. for the second time in as many episodes, I'm connecting Tom it, Hanks Andy. to Kevin Bacon <laughs> with Apollo 13. <laughs> so maybe there's maybe there's a rule where next time I can't use Tom Hanks. <laughs> you cannot use Tom Hanks. I get to use Tom Hanks next time. There you go. <laughs> Yay. Awesome. This movie has so many unexpectedly beautiful things, but for what would you reward it an Oscar? <laughs> That's a, that's a great uh, softball you're lobbing me because mine is not beautiful at all. <laughs> no, but I, 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 I very much considered giving Jess Wexler like just best actress and trying to make oh, yeah. some sort of case there. She's the best actress we've seen so far, but I actually looked it up in 2007. That went to Helen Mirren for the queen and... <laughs> Much as I love Jess Wexler, she's not beating out Helen Mirren. No, instead, I gave Teeth the Oscar for Best Prosthetic Genitalia. It's a very important... I almost bat take. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. It's, It's a very important, integral part of the movie, and the special effects department, they saw the challenge set before them, and they aced it. There are so many severed peni 
in this movie. That alone would be something, but they're all different they're all unique looking you've got you've got toby who is the regular one you've got ryan wearing a blue condom and you've got brad with the aforementioned terrifyingly large cock ring which was made out of sugar so that the dog could eat it and that attention to detail and that care puts it over the top for me i definitely i think you're on to something there (laughs) so what beautiful thing did you give this movie uh, I will give this movie, I originally wrote um, that I, this movie is the reason why I'll never have a male OBGYN, which is true, sure. but I will instead, you know what, I will give this movie the Oscar for best costuming, because the costuming in this movie is not at all, nothing mm-hmm. in it is accidental. Is Everything presents a theme. There is a shirt that... Dawn wears at one point that says caution sex changes everything and then 20 minutes later she gets raped by Toby Mm. and then she is wearing at one point she's wearing a unicorn t-shirt and unicorn lore in unicorn lore the only way you can capture a unicorn is by being a virgin um and the unicorns will gracefully lay their head in the lap of a virgin so there's no part of this movie where Dawn's costuming changes are accidental. And I thought the symbology behind her costuming choices were fantastic. That's great. No, I think that's a really great, uh, serious Oscar. You know, we sometimes I figured it, this movie, it deserved it. <laughs> no, it, it absolutely did. Sometimes we just have to offer something up as a joke, but that's a really good one for this movie. I really think that. Yeah. So we both liked this movie a lot more than we thought we would. Right. So much so we have been going for about over an hour now. That's right. This is probably going to go down as our longest episode to date. So uh, if you you skipped the movie, I recommend giving it a shot. We very much liked it. Let's find out if we like the next one. Yay! (laughs) So I have randomized the list. And we, because I added Novocaine, we still have 291 movies on this list. Good lord. (laughs) And so next time we will be watching number 93, which is (laughs) for a third time in a row. This is a overwhelmingly feminine cult movie what for our next movie we will be watching pretty in pink (gasps) i'm so excited (laughs) for those of you who want to watch the movie ahead of time uh at time of recording the only place uh pretty in pink seems to be available is through amazon through rental but that's where you can find it and that is where we will watch it. Well, that's all for this edition of Cult Fiction. If you want to keep up, you can follow us on Twitter at Cult Fiction Cast. You can also follow, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close the crypt for now. But join us next time when we try a little tenderness with Pretty in Pink. For Stephanie Johnson, I've been Andy Bowell. Yay! Hey, oh, I say-